0: Can he be successful enough to kind of rip that job from uh, from Latroy Hawkins' cold, dead hands? I really liked that acquisition. I think that he's going to shock some folks. Very interested in Shane Green.
1: There must be like somebody's boss that watches these games through Twitter because, damn it, these tweets are out of control this spring. Given the, that Tim Federovich or whatever is his backup.
0: By the way, i got to give you credit on Fedorovich. I know you've, I, I've heard you talk, I do listen to the podcast. <laughs> I've heard you talk about having player pronunciation issues. Welcome to episode 206 of The Sleeper in the Bus. It's your Thursday edition. I am Paul Spohr, joined on this March Madness opening Thursday by Eno Saris. How are you, sir?
1: I'm good. My bug bites stopped itching. Perfect. I think I can breathe. I probably sound a little better. Definitely. And uh, I don't know, I don't need another. And I mean, I mean, those I, are two pretty see, huge things. Well, yeah, and, and I and I and I, unlike half of America, have baseball on my TV. So you know, everything's going good.
0: It's it's so great. Uh, I mean, obviously, with my Longhorns on, I am. I do have that on the TV right now, basketball. But the preseason games have been, or, uh, spring training games have been running on the TV almost constantly. I don't know if Texas is going to win. They're pretty terrible. Rick Barnes is the absolute worst, so they'll probably be one and done, and then I can just focus back on baseball. Mm-hmm. Let's talk. Uh, let's talk some baseball. We're going to start off with good news for once, and then we'll dive into the awful injury news. But we're going to start with the Christian Yelich. 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 How do you say it? I say Yelich.
1: Uh, well, I'm German, so I'd say Yelich. Okay, obviously, but, uh, makes sense. Uh, I don't know if he's German, so you can say it how you like. I'm going with Yelich.
0: Christian Yelich, the young up-and-coming uh, Marlins outfielder, has signed a pretty hefty extension. It's looking like seven years for about 50, mil, just under 50 mil, with an eighth-year club option for 15 mil, or uh, about a one-and-a-half million-dollar buyout. So the total value, max value, is about 63 million dollars which would cover, if they got that option year, would cover three of his free agent years. Obviously, this seems pretty good for the Marlins, but how do you see the deal from uh, Yellick's side? See, I can't even stay consistent. I said Yellick and then Yellich. I'm all over the map.
1: <laughs> well, uh, young Christian, you know, the thing is, um, <laughs> the uh, the thing is, it just seems, I, I think it's uh, a great deal for the Marlins. And, you know, just looking at the other guys who signed, uh, a deal around the time uh, that Yale uh, signed his deal with a, um, you know, with a one year, basically, a little bit more than one year of service time. They all just seem like really bad deals for the player. I mean, uh, Starling Marte got six years and $31 million, gave up three years of free agency. Paul Paul Goldschmidt gave up, a, you know, his is actually one of the better ones. He only gave up one year of free agency. But he only got $32 million for five years. And then Anthony Rizzo, man, that dude gave up four free agent years. Oof. And, and you know, the year before, he'd only, he'd only put up basically, you know, an average a league average season. And then he, you know, then he got better. Cashed
0: in, and yeah. Is,
1: you know, they're very, you know, there's been some research from Zimmerman that suggests that you sort of peak and then go down. So maybe they're worried that, you know, they aren't going to get much better and they aren't going to get much more money. But I think, I still think peak is at least – 25, 26, you know, know, even if we're talking athletic peak. And these guys all sign these deals before their peak. So it's like, dude, you don't think you're going to get any better? I mean, maybe a guy like Starling Marte won't get better because he was 25 when he signed it. He had a 4.6 war the the year before he signed it. Um, And, you know, he's got some weird Babbitt situation going on. And, you know, that's a little bit different. But, yeah, like he's 23 years old. Uh, and, and I just don't see him. I see the, you know, I see growth, a lot of growth left in him, and particularly in the power department. So it just seems like a bad time to sign these deals. And uh, I don't know if I was a pitcher, I'd do these deals in a second. You know what well, I mean? Yeah,
0: like, definitely.
1: You know, I could blow out an arm anytime. I'm not sure these deals are on the table for pitchers though, because we don't, you know, we don't see the same sort of uh, of work uh, being done with with young pitchers. So. Uh, you know, I just think it's a uh, it's a bad uh, sort of a bad decision by some of these young players. But you know, if somebody offered me fifty million dollars, I would take it too. So uh, I don't really, I, I guess I can't. I'm not holding it against them. But you know, people also ask me why I think that he's gonna um, he's gonna hit for more power, and I think I was it's because I was
0: gonna ask you that. So that that's perfect. Go ahead and tell us because I, <laughs> I, I don't see it. I can see it in the long term. I don't see it in the short term with the batted ball profile, obviously, but that can definitely morph. I mean, he's 23. So go ahead and talk about where you see well,
1: uh, I mean, power that's, growth. That's, that's, the, that's the thing is um, that he's not locked into this ground ball rate. And, um, and and hitters in general, the way that ground balls age is that you hit fewer of them um, as you age. And then you hit a peak and then you start hitting more ground balls. So, you know, that the power peak on some level is about ground ball rate. Like you actually hit more fly balls at your peak, um, and I think it's just about you know driving. I mean, if you think if you think about a line drive, um, if you're weak and you hit a line drive, it it's, it lands in short center field. Mm-hmm. If you're strong and you hit a line drive, you almost knock knock down the bullpen fence like Soler did the other day. <laughs> yes. <Yeah, it's... laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, you know, I think as you get bigger and stronger, you turn more ground balls into fly balls just by nature of hitting them harder. So I, I think that this that sixty one percent. I think this year it'll be like fifty eight, fifty five um, percent, and then at some point he'll get closer to fifty percent. And then when you're talking about a fifty percent ground ball guy, uh, guys, there are guys that hit for power fifty percent ground ball.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And, it's just that sixty range that's scary.
1: Right, and even at fifty five, so. I point to Jason Hayward because uh, Hayward in 2010, um, Hayward is 21 years old. So he's younger than than you, but uh, he was 21 and he had a 55% ground ball rate. And the next year he had a 53.9. And then in his power explosion year, his third year in the league, he had a 44% uh, ground ball rate and hit 27 homers. So, it's not like his career is a roadmap for everyone. It's not been perfect, especially when it comes to power, mm-hmm. but in terms of ground ball rate, I think he's following a more established route, which is you beat the ball on the ground a little bit when you get in the, into the league uh, and you start putting some loft into it as you start to understand your swing better and you start to understand pitchers better. So uh, I think, uh, you know, it may not be this year. And so you're right. It's, it's not a redraft uh, bold prediction. He didn't show up in my bowl predictions for this year for that reason. But if I had like a keeper league bowl prediction, it might be that, you know, Christian Yelick will hit 25 homers, um, you know, in a year – for a year or two or three, you know? Um,
0: Yeah, I can get behind that. And You have mentioned – the the ground ball piece before about how they start to go down so like you said he's not locked into this he's not a ben revere type where you know ben revere is probably going to stay at the high ground ball rate on purpose because he knows that that's his best way to victory is to smash that ball try to scoot scoot it through and even if you can't get it deep in the hole maybe beat it out so that that makes total sense
1: um let's jump on he had to- isos in the minors he had isos in his biggest samples because the isos is a hard number to use in small samples his biggest samples a ball, 171 ISO, high A ball, 189, double A, 238. Damn. So, I mean, you're exactly right. It's not a Ben Revere type, and you know, to go from a 238 and double A to a 108 and 119, that's not park factors. That's, you know, that's. I think that's biting off what you can, what you can bite off. You get, to, you get to the major leagues, and you say, okay, what can I do here? What can I do? I can hit the ball hard for line drives, and and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna have a swing that 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 leads to. A batting average, you know. So, and get, so he's
0: um, he's being smart. He's saying I can survive with this. I'll muscle up when it when I when I feel like I can, but I'm not just going to come up here and and bias it, you know, buy as on the other end of the spectrum right. there, just going yeah. for every bit of power.
1: I think that's it. I mean, Jason Castro himself told me. He said, you know, I came up, I had a line drive swing, and it worked for me, and I got on base, and I and I got uh, you know, had a nice batting average. And I have line line drives. Well, why not add a little loft to it? Because now I know. You know, now I know how to hit for line drives, and if I can add a power piece to that, uh, you know, I'm going to be better off. And that's that's when Jason Castro had the big season. Now, obviously, he took a step back, but uh, injury, I think, had a lot to do with that. So I was
0: going to say that, yeah. I I, I don't know that it, he lost the skill. I think injuries have long plagued him and obviously cropped up again last year.
1: Yeah.
0: All right, let's talk some some downside news, unfortunately, here and uh, jump into the injuries Mike Fires was scratched from his next start, which I believe was either going to be today or tomorrow, Thursday or Friday, uh, with some shoulder weakness. Now that's a bit vague, and of course it sounds pretty scary. Manager Ron is saying it's not a big deal. How do you feel about this? Is this something that that instantly bothers you?
1: I mean, you hate the shoulder is way worse than elbow stuff. Um, and, and so it's it, you know, it's not good news. I don't know. I don't really know what you can say about it, other than let's wait for more news. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little bit, I, you know, Alex Cobb with the forearm tightness. I think is pretty, pretty worrisome because a he's not he's already slated not to open the season on the on, on the uh, active roster, so you already have to take innings away from whatever production you had for him, which probably wasn't much more than 160, 170 innings anyway.
0: Yeah, because he's never done he, – he's just right. not shown that he can go that that long yet. And I was uh, hoping for him to finally be able to do that. But, nope, again, we're looking at Cobb being shelved. Yeah, I think you're right on fires. So we do have to kind of wait and see. It, it's unfortunate that that's kind of the advice because it, it, you can't do much with it. But I still want to make we – ha- we have to make everyone aware of it and then just kind of wait and see, you know, if, if guess- it's coming – if it's coming down to two guys and and you know you got Fires and somebody else maybe you go with the other somebody else if if he doesn't have an injury right now if if you're tied if you're really tied between two guys but that's about the only draft usage that I could see for this news right now. I'm not really sliding him down the ranks too much until I know more.
1: I think it it could serve to remind us that Fires hasn't been the healthiest guy over his career. So True. you know you know not only did he really have a hard time in 2013. I, I forget exactly what it is. I'll call that up. But uh, he had issues in, in 2013 that um, that kept him below 75 innings for the year.
0: Yeah, uh, he, he didn't pitch in the minors either. So he, he he had an arm injury. I can't remember what it was.
1: Was yeah, a broken it arm maybe? He, uh, yeah, forearm fracture. Oh, it was a batted ball. Okay, so that's hard to hold against him. But uh, even if you don't hold that against him because it was a batted ball – and not from pit and not a pitching injury. Even if you don't if you, if you if you don't hold that against him, you just look at his max innings totals in the years that he actually pitched. He's never pitched more than 175 innings. So. Uh, maybe I have 180 one year, but he's never pitched 200 innings. So you know he's not a workhorse. And all the projections have him for. And I don't know if this is projection. I think it's probably before the shoulder weakness. I don't think we change our depth chart. So our depth chart is having 179. 169. That's and fans have 156. So um, and fans might actually know better than our own guys at this point because you know they, they've been following fires uh, pretty closely. So mm-hmm. uh, I I think uh, I think he is in a way uh, to come back around to Cobb. You know, kind of like Cobb in that good pitcher. How many innings is he gonna give you?
0: And you know another thing, he might be a, he might be kind of a new guy because we're really just kind of starting to see him emerge over these last couple of years. But he's 30, so he's not young. So that that's another thing that you have to factor in. I think sometimes these late bloomers come up. And they get associated almost as being young just because they're new and they're actually not. So keep that in mind too. Stay tuned and we'll keep, we'll keep it updated obviously if if more comes down. But for now, play it a little bit cautious. Uh, Michael Saunders, remember when he got hurt, it was looking like he was going to miss half the year, maybe more. Well, all of a sudden he's back. He played in a minor minor league game and now he's there's talk of him being ready for opening day. So this has really turned around. Um, how are you valuing him this year? I know he was getting some sleeper love coming into Toronto, um, and then obviously the injury hit really drained the value out of him or, or dra- drained the the hype out of him and actually made him a huge value because everyone thought he was going to miss time. But now he's coming back. I don't think his stock has risen commensurate with this new news. How do you feel about him? Honestly,
1: I hate to be wishy-washy, but I'm of two minds because there's two things going on here. One, that on a positive side, is Jeff Zimmerman saying – He's done some research on this. I think it was on the Hardball Times. He said, you know, wrist injuries and arm injuries are worse for hitters, and that makes intuitive sense because that's what they use to to hit. Mm -hmm. But, you know, then I also did that piece uh, with Votto and Bruce about how the back leg is a big deal and, um, you know, how how you need it to – you know, drive, uh, you know, to, to switch your, uh, even just make good contact. It's not even just about power, but you need the back knee. It's, uh, I'm I'm looking up right now, which knee it was. I'm not sure you uh, know which, which knee it was.
0: Um, offhand I don't, but I do have, it was left knee for Saunders.
1: All right. So that's his, uh, back knee, uh, when he's, uh, yeah,
0: he's he's a left he's a left-handed hitter, so that is his back knee.
1: Yeah, so that's his back knee. So I feel like that's uh, I would say worrisome for his power. Okay. Um, the good news is, I mean, actually the bat that's bad news in both cases because not only did last year did he have the worst success rate of his career on stolen bases, but you know the way stolen bases age uh, is terrible, and uh, he's 28 and he just came off of four stolen bases in a half season, so. You know these uh, twelve uh, stolen base projections from the depth charts uh, might be uh, generous. So you know that's in 560 plate appearances. Even if he gets to 560 plate appearances, I'll give him 10 homers. So let's say uh, 560 plate appearances not possible because he might DH and might get in there, whatever. Um, then uh, the 17 homers with the 174 ISO with a with a hurting back knee, and he's going to say it doesn't hurt. But you know you know Bruce. Bruce, it took him a couple of months mm-hmm. to get well.
0: And uh, yeah, and do. Bruce was obviously terrible last year too, so that, you know, yeah. had had to have been affecting him on some level. That I think you've done a good job explaining why his value hasn't necessarily gone right back up, be, despite the positive news of him coming back uh, with regards to Saunders, because. People are realizing, you know what, this injury could play a role in that double-double season I was looking at, you know, 17 and 12 by the depth charts, homers and and stolen bases. All of them except Steamer have double-double. Steamer went 13 homers and nine stolen bases for him. But he went four for nine, like you said last year. (laughs) That is not a good rate no matter how you slice it. That is beyond terrible. So be careful with Michael Saunders. Let's Let's talk Daniel Murphy here. He left the game with a tight hamstring. Guy is criminally underrated every single year and obviously if a tight hammy not necessarily going to help but throw on some injury concern and he'll probably be more underrated again this year I don't know if this is going to be anything Uh, how do you usually treat ham hamstring strains when uh, with without you know severity news with regards to time missed if it's just a hamstring thing pulled from a game we don't have a timetable how do you usually treat those
1: well, I never really believed in his 23 stolen base, you know, peak season in 20, 2013. So, I don't think he's such a speedster that you need to knock off a ton of stolen bases. Maybe he only steals 10 or 11 this year. No big deal. You know, can he, you know, hit his for his line drive approach uh, with the bruised hammy or hurt hammy or whatever? I think so. It's a lot of ground balls for every fly ball. Um, not a lot of infield flies. Um, just a lot of a lot of contact you know 13 strikeout rate year in year out so I think he can do what he does you know for the most part without his hand. I just think that uh, and, and I do think that the Mets will score a few more runs this year and get him a little bit closer to what he was in 2013 in terms of when he scored 92 runs mm-hmm. um, I agree it's just a weird it's just a weird line to own for me it doesn't it's because usually I'm looking for something, and he's the kind of guy where you can't be looking for anything. Exactly. Like you're just trying to
0: fill the spot. batting
1: average or something, right. So, you know, if, you, if you're if you looking for batting average, then he's a guy you might go get because a two, 280, 290 batting average these days is really good. But I wouldn't project him for anything more than sort of 9, you know, maybe 10-10, you know. Uh, 280, 10-10 is a good number to put in your head, I think. Um, and that's it's, just it's just a weird thing to – to sort of slot in, you know.
0: Yeah, no, you're right, and that that's that definitely leads to his, you know, being undervalued uh, when you compare draft slot to to dollar value at the end of the year for Daniel Murphy. So, again, stay tuned there. No timetable or anything. He was just pulled from a game.
1: You know we'll who he see is. If it's anything, who? He's the batting average, M- Matt Carpenter. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Matt Carpenter is the OBP, yes, Danny, Danny Murphy.
0: That's that's really good. That's really good and really true. It, it was even more apt when when Car- Carpenter played second base. But yeah, it's perfect. If, yeah. Depending on the league that you're in, league format, OBP or uh, average, you can kind of interchange those two. You know, depending on which position you need to. That that that's a good one. We'll, we'll keep that one in mind for sure. And then last but not least, uh, some decent news with regards to an injury front. Homer Bailey looking like he's going to throw in a minor league game this Sunday. First time he's thrown since the surgery in the offseason to repair the flexor tendon strain in his right elbow. I know that, you know, you got to be at least a little bit worried here. But what can what kind of takeaway do you think we could get from Sunday's game? If he, if he makes the amount of innings, are you going to feel any better? Or are you still just cautious regardless of the results?
1: Uh, yeah, no, I think it would be interesting to see how many innings he goes. I think that'll give you an idea of how far behind he is behind the other pitchers. Because, you know, I was, I was talking to Melvin the other day, um, and I asked him, uh, you know, how he's going to make further First, I was asking him, how are you going to make a decision about your starting rotation when, you know, you, you, you have such a small sample to, to judge these guys on, and they're, and they're stretching out. And he's like, well, you know, right now in spring training, is just about stretching out. And really, spring training in general is just about getting the pitchers ready for the season. And so he, he thought that, um, you know, that's what spring training is all about. You ask hitters, we've talked about this before, it, it takes them about two weeks. So um, in terms of, uh, it, you know, where Bailey is, I think you'll know. Because if you can see, you know, the the guys that are coming out now that are pitching are pitching, you know, into the fourth and fifth. They've got 75 pitches pretty much. That's what Shane Green threw yesterday. And that's what A.J. Burnett threw. And it's almost like clockwork. Everyone's on the same thing. So 75 pitches. So if, if Bailey throws like you know, 30 or 40, then, you know, he's, you know, maybe two turns behind everybody.
0: That's good. I I, I like that. uh, I like that as a guide as well. So hopefully, hopefully that one gets on the MLB network rotation. I'll definitely want to watch that. And if I'm able to, I will report back my findings either on the Sunday night podcast with Jason or the Tuesday afternoon one with you. So we'll stay tuned to that. And uh, that'll wrap us up for news. Oh, one other thing. Uh, That was late. That's why it's not on the rundown. X-rays came back clean on on Matt Wieters' elbow. You know, They shut him down from catching after just one game. This is obviously good news in terms of it being clean, but we don't know that we can trust him to catch yet. What are you doing with his value right now? Because I personally have bumped him down a couple spots with, with some concerns here.
1: Yeah, I guess you gotta. I, I, I shrug. I don't know uh, because it only makes him more of a potential value in the leagues where he's almost a target, like your AL onlys and your um, your two catcher leagues. You know, it almost sure. makes him more exciting because especially if you can handcuff him. I mean, why not handcuff him? I think it's Caleb Joseph yep. if you're looking for a handcuff. So I would say, you know, go for weeders as your second catcher and then see if you can put Caleb Joseph on your bench. Uh, and in that case, I think you've got yourself a tidy little, you know, decent floor, like playing time floor uh, catcher with, uh, you know, you know, projectability in terms of Matt Weir's, Weir's actual you know, ability to play once he gets outside on the field.
0: And Joseph isn't terrible for the time that you might have to use him,
1: uh, especially in a league where
0: he would be viable to begin with, obviously. Right. All right, let's talk third baseman here. Now, the strategy, I I don't think there are many distinct strategies the way there are with some other positions that that we've done. So we're really just going to kind of break these guys up into groupings and then talk about the different players within the groupings, because you can go so many different ways. It's very deep. Uh, I think outside of first base, it's the deepest infield position. Even some of these back end options, obviously they're not as good. You know, sometimes depth is, is misconstrued because I'll say, oh, you know, it's positions deep. They got... Headley, Aramis Ramirez, and Prado down in the bottom there, and they'll be like, "Well, those guys aren't as good as Josh Donaldson." Yeah, no duh. I mean, that that that's a stupid <laughs> thing to say. No, no position's going to have that. You know, depth doesn't mean that there are stars. Available for the 15th guy off the board at that position It just means that there are capable guys and there are a lot of capable useful mixed-league guys here So let's talk first about the emerging stars and this is kind of one of the top groups here uh, This isn't the only guys in the top group because uh, you know, Adrian Beltre belongs in there and he's not an emerging star But this is Josh Donaldson Anthony Rendon Nolan Arenado and Kyle Seager all four of these guys getting a lot of love Ranging and I'd say as early as the late first round with somebody like Donaldson all the way down to, you know, maybe fourth, fifth round at the latest. I mean, Seeger might be going a little bit later, maybe fifth, sixth round. But, you know, they're all they're all in those top five to six rounds. How do you feel about this group of guys and who's your favorite based on the cost, of course, because Donaldson's probably your favorite no matter what with with his star talent?
1: I'm trying to figure out what settings I have on this crazy calculator because right now the numbers where I I can't even, the Seeger's not even showing up. Like what did I do wrong here?
0: Uh, On the, on the pop calculator, you're not even getting Seeger to show.
1: Uh, I, uh, I had national league only. Oh, Anyway, that'll, (laughs) that'll do it. That will do it. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I just, I think it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great uh, position. And, and I do think it, the depth makes it hard. And I think Seeger is a really good guy to sort of think about in terms of depth uh, because of for two things. First of all, if you think that you're going to get guys later um, that you think are, are good value, then it, it makes it harder to pick a guy like Donaldson, Beltre, and I leave Rendon out because he'll play second base for most people. Yeah, that's so. So, do you pick a guy like Donaldson or Beltray when you think there's a Seager or uh, Ryan Zimmerman, David Wright, you know, you know, somebody Chase Headley down the down the line that can give you something that's closer in value? Do you do do that? And you know, in Josh Donaldson's case, I I tend to think that I might reach for him because I think the projections might undervalue the park change he's going to go undergo. Um, So I think that Josh Donaldson may have an Edwin Encarnacion type season um, without, you know, that's before putting the third base tag on, you know.
0: I I agree. I I absolutely love Donaldson and he is somebody that I would definitely, like I said, late first round, even in, in some formats for me, if it's deep enough, maybe 10 team, probably not. But uh, you know, 15 team for sure. I think he I think he deserves consideration back there, depending on how you know the first uh, 14, uh, 13, 14 picks go. If you if you're one of those late, later two picks, let's talk about Nolan Arenado because he's one of the big breakout picks. I, I, you can't call him a sleeper at all because he's going way too early. But also the fact that he's almost overvalued because he's so chic right now that people are jumping him. But, you know, if, if, if he's the guy you believe in and you're really seeing a breakout season from him, then I say, fine, jump him in the, in the fourth round or whatever, even if it's a little bit higher than his ADP. Do you see a breakout coming from him?
1: I, I, I've always said that his upside to me is 300 hitting with 25 homers. That's and, so sexy. And if you prorate just last year's 18 homers out to, you know, 660 uh, play appearances instead of 460 – uh you you're already pretty much there. Mhm.
0: And he hit 287 and that doesn't take much. And that's with a sub 300 batting average on balls in play.
1: Yeah. W- I mean, it wouldn't, would, makes-
0: wouldn't take much to envision him bumping that up and all of a sudden you're at 325.
1: And you know, he's 23 years old, so there's two more years of peak. So maybe I need to change my peak, you know, my upside projection to, you know, maybe he'll do maybe he'll do 331 one year, but you know, it, honestly, it's not the type of swing and power that you would project for a 30 home run season. So I'll, I'm not gonna don't put my name on that one. But if we're making the, uh, we're, it seems like we're making keeper league bold predictions here today. That's right. Uh,
0: <laughs> we're talking about predictions that you can use in two
1: to three years, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> That's super useful. Uh, no, but I think uh, I think Arenado is is probably worth it. Um, I think the projections are probably under-projecting him, honestly. I mean, I don't know why he would hit two more homers and 200 more plate appearances. doesn't
0: make any sense. I mean, because he didn't use some 22% homer-to-fly ball ratio to do what he did last year. And I get that he, he struggles on the road. But, okay, then wake me up when he's traded away from Colorado because otherwise I don't care. I fell in love with this guy in the Arizona folly a couple years back. I think that was the one that you you were at. And mm-hmm. he was so good. And Just watching him hit – was so fun and yeah it was definitely something that I saw I was like this guy could hit 335 one day you know but contend for a batting title that kind of that kind of stuff and then the the power is just a bonus because if you can hit 25 I'd take that all day but frankly I would take a you know 310 average with 20 homers and a boatload of RBIs and runs thanks to Colorado I just I love this guy I'm definitely in favor of jumping him even if it feels quote-unquote early I mean the values, in the you know, kind of in the eye of the beholder. ADPs only do you so good. The funny, the funny thing is, in NFBC, his peak pick, the highest he's gone is 16th. I wow. don't know if I'm ready for that just yet. But what's, what's that, the average? Uh, the average is 51.
1: That, I love. I I'd do it.
0: Yes, I would. I, I would 1,000% do that.
1: Just just by the auction calculator, um, you know, regular old five x five. Uh, 15 teams. This is kind of NFBC, you know, with the corner infield. It's pretty much NFBC two catcher. Uh, I have uh, Arenado at 30 cents less than Pablo Sandoval, oh, wow. and and that's we just talked about his projections and why they might be a little bit light. I'll take Arenado over Sandoval. What's Sandoval's average?
0: Sandoval is averaging. He's averaging at 125. He's fallen. He's fallen way down. Oh, uh, he was tracking in the in the 80s back in the in the you know in the throes of winter and then when that I first came out. What, what's that? <laughs> and then
1: that picture came out. I, exactly,
0: exactly. <laughs> ba- back when everyone was still uh, drinking on the uh, on the World Ooh. Series. You know, juice there, thinking that everything was all grand. Then the 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 picture comes out, the still frame of his of his gut, and everyone freaks out. Yeah, he's he's fallen a lot because he was tracking in the 70s, 80s when the data was first coming out.
1: Are right, you tell me? So if we take him over Pablo, you tell me who, and we're gonna put Rendon with a second baseman. You tell me, other than Beltry and Donaldson, who's better than Nolan Arenado this year? I,
0: I, nobody. I mean that, that I'm I'm right there. I'm, I'm really open to being aggressive and i get the guy who's picking 16 there obviously if he thinks he's going to go in the second round that was his only chance to get him so well you know, he has
1: he has you know there's the auction calculator only gives a four dollar difference between him and belcher so that's not the craziest it's not as crazy as you know some things we've seen i mean the, the, somebody on our site even took billy hamilton in the second. <laughs> exactly uh, i love i love mike uh so I, I, you know, the uh, I, I think that's uh, I think Arenado is is still in, in play as even a value pick at 50. I I, I think that's a, if you can get a top three at any position in the first uh, 50 picks, uh, do it. If, we're not talking about position scarcity as much as we're talking about you know dominating each position.
0: Exactly, just getting studs everywhere. It doesn't necessarily have to be scarce because, as we said, third base we don't believe is scarce. But yeah, I'm I'm fully on the Arenado train there, and. Um, I, you know, he's somebody that I, I am willing to jump. I, I do have him in one of my draft and hold NFBC leagues too, but I also have Marcus Stroman in that one, so I'm, I'm working from a deficit there. Let's talk about the established veterans here, which is the, the group of guys who, you know, also going kind of in that uh, not quite as high, not not peaking in the sixth round there, but maybe going in uh, as early as round one or round two in some instances because it includes Beltre, But then it's Beltre, Todd Frazier, Carlos Santana. Pablo Sandoval and Matt Carpenter. These are the guys that you kind of know what you're going to get uh, in a lot of instances. Uh, maybe not Frazier in terms of the stone bases, something we've talked about in the past when we did our Cincinnati preview. But even if you back those off, I think you can feel pretty comfortable about the power that you're going to get from him. So this group's interesting. You got Beltre and Frazier going before pick 40, right in that 30 to 40 range. And then Sandoval carpenter and santana are all going quite a bit later and so you 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 can kind of make your decision based on on that how early you want to dive into the established vet pool santana is going 80 80 area 79 area and then i already mentioned sandoval at 125 and carpenter's the lowest end of those obviously you're you're we already know what you're getting. You're getting Daniel Murphy at third base, but you're getting it at a pick 142, so that's not too bad. How do you feel about this this particular group of established veterans? I'm
1: uh, not that excited, actually. I mean, I'm you know i a little bit worried about Adrian Beltre's health. I know he's been a super healthy guy over his career, but there have been years when it hasn't worked out. And, you know, he's uh, 35 years old now. Um, and uh, it's got, you know, he's not a crazy swing, but he's got like a big old swing. Well,
0: and, um, you know... He caught a lot of power last year, and yeah, he played he played fewer games, but it wasn't enough fewer to, to justify an 11 homer drop, so... Right. A uh, pretty sharp drop.
1: And yeah, if you actually... And because of his low walk rate, you might be thrown off... The, because his plate appearance totals look like he's had full seasons this whole time. Yeah. Uh, but if you look at his games played, it's been a little bit different story. Uh, 111 in, uh, in 2009, that's a long time ago, but... Uh, Since 2011, 124, 156, 161, 148. I mean, it's not, they're not full, full seasons. And and I think that could, you could have another 124 season pretty easily. So, especially with the guy who's 35 years old, the power down.
0: No, that's the key that you hit on. Because this is going to be age 36 season. And the problem is, it won't necessarily be a, a nice, slow decline from 161 to 148 to 139. It could be. 115 this year you know you don't want to predict predict injury for for anybody but you you got to be careful when you get guys this at this age so he's going highest among them but i wouldn't take him first among this group i actually uh i agree with you overall it's a bit of an unexciting group except for carlos santana i'm i'm really hyped on him this year i'm seeing a big big year from him i really think that he can be a 30 homer guy and i know he has had uh batting average issues in the past you know he's a big time obp guy two he hit 231 last year but 268 and 252 the two years before that which is very you know 268 is downright useful these days and 252 certainly won't kill you so i think we could see something you know like a, even at the high end i i think he could hit 275 which is hilarious for a high end but you know i i think he can be Batting average neutral at the very least, with major power upside. I still think there's a 30-plus homer season in his bat. I'm big on Carlos Santana this year, so in that group, I'm taking him easily.
1: Yeah, I think you're right to be excited about him. The, the nice thing, the interesting thing about him is that uh, he doesn't really have like a Jose Bautista fly ball rate, so you can't point to his fly ball rate for a bad BABIP. Um, he's not—he's no longer a catcher, so you can't be—you can't say that he should have a catcher babbitt, which is lower than the, the regular babbitt. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he does have a little bit of an infield fly ball problem, uh, but you know, you could shave some babbitt off for that, but not for the other reasons. So I think that a—you know—the 275 uh, projected babbitt is, is a decent one. It's right online his career. We. We've got almost 2,800 plate appearances with a 274 BABIP. Last year he had a 249 BABIP. So uh, I think that was a little bit unlucky. So you, you go back to the years that he had 278 BABIPs and they were two fifty, two sixty batting average. So I think you're right. I think, uh, <clears throat> I think the, they're under-projecting him a little bit um, because the, you know, with that BABIP, they've also given him a little bit of power regression. Uh, and the, the two have combined to give him sort of a 245 batting average. But I'll, I, I'm going to go with you and say 250, 260. And, you know, there's something, um, again, not uh, statty, a little bit scouty. Uh, you know, he's been moved around a lot. <clears throat> and from what I, got, I gathered in my conversation with Brandon Moss, sometimes you play a little bit differently at each position. I think, actually, there is something in the stats about this. I mean, we know, for example that there's a 10% DH penalty. So we Definitely. know that that uh if you're pinch hitting, you're 10% worse than you normally are. That's a number in the stats that suggests that players play differently at different positions. So um you know, I think that uh you know, in his case and this is where it gets a little bit less statty is that Carlos Santana was not well suited for third base and <laughs> you're putting it very nicely. <laughs> well, I mean also sort of like personally and mentally, like sure. uh Uh, and, and that, uh, you know, and then he got moved around a little bit, uh, in 2014. And then, um, you know, this year I think is going to be more one position and go for it. Maybe, you know, first base and and, and, and and DHing, but I think the third base thing is out of the picture for him now. And, um, I, you know, he was really horrid in the, in, in, yeah, he was bad when he put, uh, especially say. when
0: he played third base i mean it's a small sample only 113 plate appearances but a 509 ops not good right and and uh and a 912 at first base for 411 plate appearances
1: yeah and, and 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 moss said that he played way better at first base because he was still in the infield he was still you know in every play and it kept he's kind of ADD so it was like you know kept him you know in the game whereas on the outfield he you know probably was thinking about Whatever he thought about, he asked. Yeah, he's he's crazy. Uh, <laughs> I love Brandon Moss. <laughs> yeah, he's totally nuts. Uh, and and so I think Carlos Santana. Uh, you know, this could be it. Could be a good situation for him. I don't see why he couldn't, you know, hit 250 and hit 30 home runs this year.
0: Excellent. Well, let's move on to our next grouping here and talk about some more third baseman. We're gonna look at the bounce back vets. Now, this guy, these guys. They could have been in the established vets because they've definitely put up some track record, but they're all coming off a little bit of something or a lot of something from last year. So, some of these guys were, were much worse than the others. Uh, that's Evan Longoria, Chris Davis, David Wright, and Ryan Zimmerman. You know, like I said, kind of a mixed bag of stuff that they're coming off of. Evan Longoria actually well, you know, played. He played 162 games, and he wasn't bad by, by any measure, really. He was just kind of blah. 22 homers, 91 RBIs. We'll take that. That's a, a three-year high. Five stolen bases. That's a four-year high. And then, uh, but a two hundred fifty-three average. That's a career low. So that's why it was kind of a eh season. Even though now he's he's established some health for the last couple years. 160 and 162 games the last two years. After really. You know, being a guy, can we rely on him? Because he had 133 and 74 games back in 2011, 2012 for Longoria. So, talk to me about this group a little bit. Uh, we got injury returns here for most of them, except for Longoria. He's more of a performance return. And who do you like to bust out most from this group, or or bounce back most? I shouldn't say bust out.
1: I like the I like them as a as a, as a team. I, I, I like um, uh, as a group of, of players. I, I I would buy. I think that you could have a viable auction strategy or, or, or draft strategy where you where you targeted all of these guys and you just sort of waited until that tier was empty. Because you could... I don't say you necessarily put them all in the same tier. Longo is actually, you know, obviously going for a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, I think... something to me said that the Rays didn't really have a great season last year and they didn't score a lot of runs. And I don't know if that really explains... Longoria's power outage but it does explain you know the runs and RBI totals being a little bit down and I think it could go to to some extent about the power outage maybe you know that explains a little bit the fact that um he reached more than he ever had in his in his career last year you know uh, you,
0: you, uh, sorry uh, you could reasonably roster all, you said you'd target these guys you could reasonably roster all of them. You can get Longoria as your third baseman. Davis as your first baseman Wright as your corner infielder then Zimmerman in the outfield. So given, <laughs> I mean, given some of the prices, uh, particularly of the, of the latter three, maybe if Longoria's price dipped down, you got in a league with, with Longoria haters and all of a sudden you're taking him around pick 70, then you could get the other three. Uh, it actually kind of depends on Davis. Cause some leagues he's getting a lot of love. Other leagues, a little bit more tepid. It might be tough, getting Longoria and Davis, but you could definitely get three of the four if you really I, wanted. I'm just saying.
1: I think it'd be kind of fun because their, their skill sets are different enough, and the, the batting average you'd get from Zimmerman and Wright, I think, would balance out the Longo Davis a little bit.
0: Exactly. you get a
1: lot of power from Davis, no matter what his batting average looked like. Uh, you'd be betting on a little bit of a bounce back from Longo in the power department, which I think is tied into that reach rate that I just talked about. And uh, Zimmerman might stay healthy at first base. I mean, I think a lot of his issues had to do with the oblique uh, turning, you know, throwing to second. His throws were terrible. His throws looked horrible. And, um, you know, I think that could keep him healthy. You know, David Wright for me is the big mystery. I mean, you know, I don't know why. um, The the projections always weighed last year pretty heavily. But, uh, you know, if you don't think like a projection system and you just think like a human being looking at his numbers – You've seen that he's had down years in the past, and he's bounced back in the past. So he's he's obviously got a little bit of the sort of metronome tick 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 going. And I don't mean metronome like he's the same every year. I mean, the the, the way that it kind of oscillates from one it side back. To... Yeah, it goes back and forth. So you know, I don't think that he needs to bounce back to a 150 ISO when before last year he'd only done that once in his career. Exactly. So and bounce you know, back from that, that to your point. That was one of those. That was one of his bad years. So, you know, and the year after that, he had 29 homers with 220 ISO. So uh, then he had a 172 ISO. That was a bad year. And the year after that, he had a 186 ISO with 21 homers. And uh, and then it had an
0: excellent 2013 that was cut short by injury, 18 homers.
1: But that only been a 24 homer season. it yeah, so, would
0: have been a massive year.
1: So I, I I think that they're light on the power. I think that he's uh, in general uh, being underprojected, uh, especially on, on base percentage leagues. Uh, this is a guy that, even in his bad years, had 350 on base percentages. I think all of the projections are low uh, in terms of that. I think the fans who give him a 365 bat, uh, on base percentage and 17 homers, 166 ISO, that I actually I don't think that's an open-eyed projection they're only projecting him for 598 plate appearances so that he's gonna be perfectly healthy um but uh they might even be light on the runs and rbi and that's that's part of an algorithm so um you know if you gave me 290 batting average 17 homers 11 stolen bases you know 95 runs uh and 85 batted in i'd love that that'd be that's gonna be a value
0: that's going to be a value. Yeah, I, I I absolutely love this grouping, like you said. And honestly, if I'm in a situation where where I don't get my Arenado or Santana, uh, two of the guys I like in those up, higher tiers – and these aren't even tiers, by the way, because they, they mix guys from different, different parts of the draft. But if I don't get some of those other guys early, Donaldson, Arenado, Santana – I'm going to pound this, this, this little grouping here and really try to get multiple guys. Uh, I, I, I like a lot of them. I'm on the Davis uh, you know, return, batting average. Can't, I just don't think it could be 196 again. And it doesn't have to be 268 or whatever it was during that massive year. But I, I'll take 230, uh, which is something that won't murder my team, and then give me another 35 homers, and I'll take that to the bank all day long. All right, let's talk mid-round upside guys. Now these are the ones that are uh, probably going to be flashier and f- feel cooler to pick than our last group, but that doesn't mean it's right to do it if you don't get them at the right price. That's Chris Bryant, Manny Machado, Anino, and Paul favorite Nick Castellanos. Although you've been definitely beating that drum harder, I just he's a tiger, and I, I I don't just love all tigers blindly, but I happen to really like this tiger. And then Brett Laurie. So we got four guys who have done a mixed bag of things. Obviously, Chris Bryant hasn't done anything on the major league level. Machado's shown flashes. Castellanos was just kind of solid last year, but not special at all. Lowry had that one big burst when he first came up and has done virtually nothing since except get hurt. So talk to me about this group of four mid-round upside guys.
1: You know, just to tie these two groups together, I think Ryan Zimmerman plus one of these guys, is a, is a totally viable plan in any league. And the reason I like that is because Ryan Zimmerman gives you the sort of veteran plan mm-hmm. and probably not the upside that we saw from him earlier in his career. And then you supplement that with the this this upside, this, this flashy new thing.
0: Oh, so you're, you're saying that you would be fine with a Zimmerman-Machado grouping as I did in the Tout Wars mixed draft. Thank you, sir. Right. Well Contin- done. I think continue.
1: I think that's really fun, uh, especially since they a little bit different. And Machado might give you, if the knee's good, some stolen bases. And you know, I think he, you know, when Machado figures it out, he's gonna be he's pretty pretty special. So I do like that combo. Uh, I think that probably the least likely combo for me. I mean, given that I've uh, talked about Castellanos, and I think I, I've talked about why I've loved him, so I don't need to do it again. But just mm-hmm. it's about the scouts loving his head tool. And I think the tool is going to come around and the line drive rate was good. And I think he's figuring out the league and, you know, he's good, good age. Chris Bryant, you know, for all the love we've given him, he's still a prospect. You know, he still hasn't done anything. Done, yeah. He still hasn't done anything. And for all the power we've seen, there's still the batting average and, and contact rate question mark. And there are some guys like Willie Mopena. Who have a ton of power and can hit the ball a mile uh but can't you know vladimir I, I can't, what vladimir? Valentin. yeah,
0: I, I say Vladimir because i've always i thought that the w's were supposed to be pronounced as v's yeah, so
1: yeah, i no.
0: I always said vladimir, but if it's yeah. if it's Vladimir i don't, I don't I, think that, it's Vladimir. that's an interesting combination of letters for me to put a w and an l together.
1: <laughs> It's Vladimir. I'm sure it's Vladimir. I mean, even in German, it's it's uh, W's or V's. So anyway, Vladimir, uh, Vladimir Balantine, kind of I'm not saying that's who Brian is. You know, I just did a whole uh, couple of pieces on 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 Brian and uh, loved him to death, and you know, could look into his his deep blue eyes any day. But <laughs> right, uh,
0: that's that's but, really funny. That, uh, they're uh, ridiculous. <laughs> they're like marbles. They're
1: ridiculous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I you know I think even a Brian Zimmerman one works. The reason that I I think it it doesn't maybe work is because I'm not sure what people are paying prices for Brian. And even in a redraft league, I've heard, um, you know, like somebody even asked me the other day and, uh, I'm not, if they're listening, I'm not making fun of you. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a viable question, but they were surprised when I picked Arenado over Brian in a, in a redraft league. And I was like, you know, dude, we don't even know when Brian's going to be up. So, um, I think the hype on Bryant might make it hard to do a Bryant-Zimmerman combo and do it at a good price. Exactly, because they're uh, going to start going. By the time
0: I – th- I think this is the weekend, by the way, that I, I can finally stop saying by the time draft season kicks into high gear because it's high gear now, uh, this weekend especially. By this time, you know, as we're getting into these drafts, they're going neck and neck. So unless you're on a wheel where you can take them both at the same time, I don't see it happening. The latest NFBC data has Bryant ahead of Zimmerman 106 to 114 in picks. So it's going to be tough to roster. him, like you said, at a good price too, I wouldn't pay more for Bryant than I would Zimmerman personally. Now The one thing I love about fantasy baseball is, is that it, it, it's a, fu- it's a weird thing to love, but I love that the, as a group, we never learn. We never learn on prospects. It's like no matter what we've seen, when the next one that's supposed to be the, the end-all be-all, when he comes along and starts raking as, as Bryant has been in um, spring camp, all of a sudden we forget everything we learned and we get on the train without, with, with reckless abandon because of what could be. And that's kind of funny to me. I get it, but for me I just can't do it. So he won't be on any of my teams this year because I don't have him in any keeper leagues and I'm not paying that price yeah exactly deep deep blue eyes be damned sorry sorry, Chris (laughs) Uh, but yeah that's a good group I like that grouping for a corner infielder uh for sure if if you're if you're getting later in a draft uh, although not too late with with Bryant but if you're getting later in a draft Machado his stock has really fallen because of the injuries understandably he's been a little bit forgotten with the depth of this position I think him as a corner infielder is really great, and then Castellanos. You can even start getting later at times, and even maybe make him your your, your utility. So you might have three third basemen on the on the roster, but that's all right uh, if he's the best guy available, we'll take him. Let's talk about some mid round vets, and these are guys that uh, are kind of going close to the same range as that last grouping, but they're obviously veterans who are a little bit more established, but a little bit lower ceilings too. Chase Headley, Trevor Plouffe, Aramis Ramirez, Pedro Alvarez, and Martín Prado. Prado is basically an older carpenter. I mean, you know, it's the same kind of thing. Nothing special. We'll kind of remove him from this because you're getting him not to fill in anything specifically. He's just a solid kind of okay guy. The other four obviously carry power upside uh, that could that could be pretty pretty strong. Aramis probably going to peak at 25, but the other three could all do some some bigger things. I think talk to me about this group. I know you've been out, outspoken a bit on Headley for sure. I don't know how you feel about the others just yet. So how do you how do you feel about this group of mid-round vets?
1: You know, one of our bold predictions, I think Brad Johnson uh, was or was it Zach Sanders said that Aramis Ramirez is going to hit 25 homers and decide not to retire. Ooh.
0: Yeah, I think that was Zach. I'll, you you keep talking
1: and I and I'll confirm who that was. I, I kind of like that one because you know, if he did hit 25 homers, he wouldn't retire.
0: So. Especially if he hit like 295, because he's always had good batting average too. So I w- <laughs> it wouldn't be surprising if he's like, you know what? I have quite a bit of juice left in the tank. I'm going to stick around. <laughs> I
1: know that. I know that. To, to, to make it more serious, that his uh, that he talks about his family a lot, and you know, he's he's my age, and he's probably got a couple of young kids, and he probably wants to see them grow up. So I, I could see uh, he's probably made enough money where he can make that decision, but. Um,
0: yeah, that was Brad, by the way, uh,
1: just just, yeah.
0: to, just before you get going. I mean, you know, it would be so crazy, though. 37, pops 25 homers with his usual great batting average. Maybe the Brewers are in contention all season long again. Maybe not the collapse that they had, but, you know, and all of a sudden he's like, you know what, maybe one more year. But if he does stick to it, no matter how well he performs, I will back Aramis Ramirez. He had a healthy, excellent career. Uh, healthy meaning, you know, composite because he wasn't healthy throughout his entire career sorry continue
1: no yeah I think that's I mean you know as for what it's worth the the health piece isn't necessarily 100% there for Chase Headley either I mean that's true I mean he's he's uh six seven years younger but um you know uh, in the last four years has topped 600 plate appearances twice and once was 600 plate appearances Uh, And that year was 141 games. So, you know, in the last four years, he's averaged, you know, just eyeballing it, probably 140 games, 135 games. So
0: he's drawing uh, a lot of excitement, obviously, because he's going to spend the whole year in New York. And I know it wasn't a huge sample, what, 224 plate appearances. But he did only hit six homers with the Yankees. I mean, I I definitely see it raising. I'm I'm not anti headley but I, I do want to bring out some cold water here, just to make sure that uh, we're not getting a little bit too boisterous about him, especially when you throw in the the playing time piece that you're talking about. Is maybe is the hype maybe getting a little bit too much with him? And again, he's not a huge early round pick, but if he's going around pick 200, should he maybe be going around pick 240, or does it not matter that late at that point?
1: I think at that point he's a good he's a good play. Okay. You know, I mean, it just the thing is, even if he just Hits and I, you know, I, you know at the, this is the this is the thing. If he's a viable guy in your league, then he's a viable guy in your league, and then that makes him a value. You know what I'm saying? Like he's not he's not necessarily a great mixed league twelve teamer guy um, because there's just too many guys above him. I mean, even our auction calculator has him at you know they almost out of a corner infield range for a league like that. Three, six, nine. 12, 15, 18. Yeah. So it does speaks it, it, to the depth has to at 19th. Uh, that does count some guys like Rendon who we played elsewhere, uh, and Bogarts will be at a shortstop. So maybe he's a bad MI in corner infielder in corner infield in um, uh, bad corner infield in, 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 12th team mixers. But I do think that the, the projections might miss the fact that he got traded to New York in the middle of the season last year. It took him, you know, three, four, five seasons in San Diego to kind of figure out what he wanted to do with that park. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think that it won't take five seasons this time because he's 30 and he's, you know, he's, he's there. But I do know that he, you know, I, I know that he had a, a deal uh, that he could have had in Oakland. And he didn't take it because he didn't want to go back to that. So to me, that says that here's a guy who's really excited to play in New York and really excited to 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 play in a hitter's park and you know is gonna is gonna go for it in the power. So I like the projections for for uh, 20 homers. Um, and if you've got a guy who can hit 260 with 20 homers and he's gonna hit 260 more than 250 if he hits 20 homers because those home runs are gonna count as hits. So um, you know I think uh, 260 with 20 homers is is doable and that makes him. I think um, just outside the top twelve in in, uh, in third baseman.
0: Good, I'll stay hyped on him then because uh, I, I definitely was doing a, a bit of a self check there with the cold water to make sure I wasn't getting too geeked. But uh, I think what you say, what you say flies and uh, you know holds up. So there there is reason to be excited about him and at the cost. He can't really hurt you even if he if, even if he doesn't do well. Obviously, after the big 30, what was it, 31 homer season, he was going so high that when he fell back, it really hurt the teams that drafted him. Okay, let's talk some late round gambles here. We're gonna we're gonna put the late round gambles and the lottery tickets together because it's really two ways to say the same kind of thing. Marcus Simeon, Lonnie Chisenhall, Mike Moustakis, Luis Valbuena, David Freeze, Will Middlebrooks, Alex Rodriguez, Jake Lamb, and Michael Franco. Give me a, t- just talk about a couple of those guys. I think Simeon. I think you kind of made your feelings known on him. But talk to me at least about two or three of those. And Mustakas, your thoughts are also out there, so you can pick from the rest of that grouping how you feel about some of those guys.
1: Well, who does that leave? I mean, Simeon's a, a points league guy. I think an OVP type guy. Who else? Who else do you have listed Ch- on that? that Chisenhall,
0: Luis uh, Valbuena, uh, somebody like David Freeze uh a rod and then two younger guys will middlebrooks jake or three younger guys will middlebrooks jacob lamb uh in arizona and then michael Franco, who is still fighting
1: for a spot though because cody ash is there this is but- actually funny i think it, i think the third base situation breaks down around here um because i do like it all the way to brett Lowry, um who's you know you know probably 25th or something on our in, in this auction ranking uh that i've got in front of me yeah and then it falls and- and I think it falls apart because I do not like Lonnie Chisholm. I do not like Yasmani Tomas.
0: Oh, and I didn't include him because I didn't know if he was outfield or third base. So yeah, he he, he yeah. could be included. No,
1: I don't think he can play third base. No, I don't, I don't think he can at all. I mean, do we, we just from like watching him run the bases, they played him at DH when we saw him. I've seen some clips of him trying to play third base. He doesn't look like a third baseman. Uh, he wasn't playing third base in Cuba. Uh, so I don't know why uh, they think he can play third base, and, and and also from from having a team with a third base hole in a dynasty team, I know that this is a tough position right now because uh, if you don't have one of the top sort of twenty, because I've been trying to get a third baseman, I can't pry any loose, and uh, you know I've been going at it with Cody Ash um, and um, just whoever I find in a given year. And there's to, a reason to... I didn't mention him, by the way, because yeah. This is... This is... You you
0: you know firsthand why he wasn't mentioned.
1: Yeah, and I just can't I can't find anybody to go with him, and I don't necessarily think maybe you know I don't you know I don't even think because I I like Brandon Drury better than Jake Lamb in, in Arizona. I don't necessarily mean think that Brandon Drury is going to take it right but, now. But between those
0: two, you would rather invest long term in Drury.
1: Exactly. So I, I don't I think that that's 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 more likely to happen in the future. Um, you know and. You know, Michael Franco. You know, Michael Franco. I like, uh, but with as with Cody Ash. I mean, they've got two of maybe the worst gloves at third base. You know, of any. Te- I mean, any team that has two young third basemen. You know. Yeah, it's not they, good. They both could be outfielders or first basemen. So, um, you know, what I what I what would I think on middle Middlebrooks? I don't know. Um, I, I mean, I do think he could have that sort of. 15 to 17 home run power again. You know, he's never played a full season and not
0: even close, never played 100 games.
1: Yeah, and I'm afraid that's because he's a righty and, you know, uh, his platoon swits are bad. And so then, you know, maybe he's just against lefties. So maybe Salarte is the guy there. Uh, Maybe Salarte is, you know, more interesting than people give him credit for. Maybe, Maybe, you know, maybe he can, you know, do like a another 250 260 with 10 homers season you know and maybe maybe he is going to be the guy that plays most of the time i mean at least he's a switch hitter
0: and if he and... leads off and that offense does perform um, you know near expectations and they're definitely going to be better so if they do you know well enough maybe he scores some decent runs cuz he a 336 obp is not anything to write home about but it's not garbage either
1: yeah, and he walked 10% of the time last year. And I don't know yeah. if that's yeah. necessarily going to carry over, but you know, most of his swing rates were, were above average. I mean, he swung less than average. He he reached less than average. He made contact in the zone more than average. So that's the kind of uh, of plate discipline stuff, and it happened on per pitch level. So you know, bigger samples. I mean, we're talking about thousands of pitches here. Um, you know, it's the kind of stuff where you could actually have a decent batting average. I don't know why he's necessarily projected into a 270. Um, Uh, Babbitt and it might be because he had a little bit of a pop-up problem but I you know after one season we're going to give him a pop-up problem I'm not sure about that and he didn't have a lot of power so he's not muscling you know his way to hits but you know I don't see why he couldn't have a a, you know like a 290 300 Babbitt and then you know hit 275 with 10 homers so I think Solarte is the kind of guy that maybe I'll try and get on this team Valbuena actually I like because Matt Dominguez is pretty much a bust at this point because... He's not even
0: glove. He can't even... Yeah, that, he, that was supposed to be his thing.
1: Yeah. And, I, and I've, been, I, I've actually had him a couple times in labor because I thought, well, his glove will keep him on the field. But I'm exactly. not going to class him ever again because, you know, I don't think his glove's going to keep him there anymore. And, and Val Buena's glove is good. Uh, and I think it's even better than the, the number showed last year. Uh, I think that's sort of maybe just a defensive little quirk for him. Uh, the two years before, he was a plus defender and uh, I believe in his gloves. So Balbuena is uh, also a lefty. So even if he platoon splits, uh, even if his platoon splits don't improve, he's a guy who's going to play two-thirds of the time. He has above-average power. He's not going to have a great batting average. I mean, he's proved us that. But if he can get near league-average batting, uh, league-average league batted ball luck, he should hit 240 uh, with, you know, 15 homers and a decent OBP. And, uh, and play good defense and stay out there. So I think Balbuena and Solarte are, uh, are interesting um, low-round guys. And nice. I don't think there's necessarily – I mean, other than Bryant, um, you know, I don't believe a lot in Mike Olt. Um, I never really did because he just – even when he was a better prospect, he had bad strikeout rates in the minor leagues. Really bad.
0: Yeah, he, he had ever. a lot of swing and
1: miss. I watched a lot of
0: him uh, up close and personal – when, he, rock? Yeah. And, you know, when he got a hold of it is it great crowd, crowd goes, crowd goes wild. But when he wasn't, you know, I watched him hit 213 for a summer. And uh, that that was enough He got traded that summer So uh, not too surprising there I, I got to get your At least a, a takeaway thought On Arod, And then we'll close With a couple prospects uh, And then wrap this up You think Arod's Going to be at all viable? Obviously every spring Training at bat Seems like uh, it's getting A breakdown right now And he's, he's doing alright I mean he's looking Like he can hit I, I think he'll hit For some power I don't think he's a bad Late round gamble But what do you think Is a realistic ceiling If he stays healthy Because that's the biggest piece in my estimation, is him staying healthy as a um, 39-year-old. Probably as close to a full-time DH, because I doubt he's going to play much in the field.
1: Yeah, the only question is, can he actually DH? Because, like we said earlier, it's a skill. So, you know, can he actually DH? Or is he going to be 10% worse than he would be normally as a 39-year-old A-Rod? So, you know, I think a 39-year-old A-Rod could hit two... I mean... (laughs) Honestly, I don't know why the projections even happen for this low, but uh, I would say he could hit 260 with 18 homers. I agree, I 100%,
0: uh, 100% agree.
1: Now, if you take 10% off of that because you know that's a rod in the field, um, you'll get okay. sure you 16 homers. Yeah, 16 homers, 250 batting average. Yeah, that's, that sounds that sounds still useful, especially since it'd be third base eligible. You know, it, it'll be you know maybe my 18 team league where I can't find a third baseman. Maybe my solution this year will be draft Ashy or keep Ash because I I don't have a choice. Keep Ash, draft Salarte and Rodriguez, and maybe between the three of those, I've got something going on. Piece it together and then see if maybe something pops later. Okay, we'll close with two prospects. Um, do you think Miguel Sano
0: or Joey Gallo do anything this year? Which is reach the majors, obviously, because they'll, they'll do plenty in the minors. But will either of them reach the majors?
1: I think, you know, Sano uh hasn't played a lot in double A, but his team has got a more obvious solution or, or use for him. Um so I, I think Sano is will. Yes, I do think he will. Okay. And that's yeah, you know, yeah. a throwing arm issue too, so you know, if he if he comes up and rakes again, um if they once he passes five hundred plate appearances in double A, I think the team will want to see what they what they've got. Despite the transcendent power, Gallo, uh he hit twenty one
0: bombs in double in A last year and two hundred and ninety one plate appearances, but two thirty two average. He's got a ton of swing and miss in his game. So I really don't think we'll see him uh this year at all. I'd be I'd be blown away plus bell trades there. Yeah. If Sano has problems, yeah, Gallo's contact problems are worse. Exactly. So, yeah, Sano is the is the best bet of those two. All right, uh, that will wrap up the third baseman, you know, and we will head into the weekend, um, probably get some drafts done on, on both ends. We'll come back next week, and we will probably have – oh, yeah, you and I will have starting pitching because uh, uh, Jason and I will talk outfielders, and we'll throw in some DHS because I, I didn't include them in first base, and somebody mentioned that to me. He didn't talk about Chris Carter or – uh, or we did talk Carter, but we didn't talk Ortiz. Who else is DH only? Is there anybody else even? I, can't even, I can't even think of anybody else besides Ortiz that played
1: is – Butler, but uh, I think he probably played enough for a space. Yeah, I
0: think he did. So anyway, but I'll, I'll mix him in there with the, with the outfielders on Sunday. Then you and I will be back next Tuesday to talk starting pitching. That will probably have to be a two-parter. We might have to start with them on, on Tuesday and finish with them on Thursday. But until then I'll talk to you in, uh, in in just a few days how's that sound you know Sounds good Perfect Peace. peace